I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Ah, glory. Greetings and salutations, folks. I'm Paige. Here's my coffee. And welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Paige. Hopefully, if technology comes alongside me and helps me, we'll get do this without glitches like we did yesterday. All right, well, we are going, to, I'm going to do something today that I haven't done in a while. I'm splitting a chapter up into two parts. Generally, I like to read like from beginning to end of a chapter because I like to keep the context of the chapter in sight. But there is, there's a couple topics in the first half of this chapter that uh, have always grabbed my attention. And honestly, it wasn't until this morning that one of these passages finally made a little bit of sense to me. So we're going to chat about that a bit. Well, let's get started. We're going to read uh, the first 13 verses of Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any comfort sharing, if any comp, excuse, let me back up. Need more coffee. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. You know, loving your neighbors yourself. Interesting biblical concept. Jesus introduced it. Now, let's go back up here at the beginning. He says, if you have any encouragement, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Now, like-minded with who? Like-minded with Paul? Okay. So if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by thinking the same way I do. That works. It could mean if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by thinking the same way God does. That could be true. Or the third possible meaning could be, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if there's any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by each of you thinking in the same way at Philippi. He wants them to be like-minded. And honestly, any one of those three examples would work for me in this context. If you have any encouragement, think like God does. If you have any encouragement, 
any comfort, any common sharing, tenderness, compassion. Think like I do. He's drawing them to unity. And it could be unity with Paul, thinking the same way Paul does, thinking the same way God does, or being like-minded as a body thinking together. Either one of those works. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, value others above yourselves. This is really important. This is probably the earmark of Christianity, not not a contentious spirit, but a, a spirit of humility, valuing others above yourselves. Now, he's talking about others just within the body of believers there, Philippi. I kind of think he's talking about everybody. Put the needs of others above your own. You know, it's, it's funny, during the um, Black Plague, you know, in Europe, uh, during the Dark Ages, um, the Black Death, many times people would flee a village and many times Christians would stay behind to care for the sick putting themselves in harm's way, considering the other's needs more important than their own. That's that's the love of Christ in action. And this is quite possibly the hardest thing to do, especially today in America, right now, where there's such a spirit of contentious, contentiousness or contention in, in the political arena. Our, our elected officials um, are in the news so much. And we have very strong opinions and strong feelings about this thing or that thing. And the urge is to enter into the fray swinging for the fences, for our rights and our privileges. I get that. But there's the mark of a Christian is humility. I'm not saying you're a doormat. Um... But when the, when the government's laws or requests cross or cross purposes with what God wants us to do or be, then we protest by not doing what they want us to do. Um, I've never felt comfortable with doing things like marching on Washington. I've never felt comfortable with uh, overt political uh, protests. As a believer, I don't know if that means I'm a chicken or if there's something else at work inside me. But here I see Paul saying, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. People who are working out of selfish ambition or conceit, they're putting their rights ahead of those of others. See, this note I have here is pretty important. Pride is competitive by nature and tries to lift a person above others. So promoting conflicts rather than harmony. By contrast, humility accepts a place of service with concern for the needs and interests of others. Love is essential for humility. In the first century, the government was preparing, and in fact, to a degree, were already persecuting Christians. Nero was getting ready to ratchet it up another notch. Um, he was going to go all in on persecuting Christians. Uh, in fact, if if legend has it, he was responsible for half of Rome burning down and he blamed it on Christians. It wasn't true. He did it. But the fact is, is that persecution is coming. 
And their best way of discovering who the Christians in the midst were was to demand that people worship emperor, the emperor. The people light candles or incense or make an offering to the emperor as a god. Well, Christians would not do that because there is no god but Jehovah. And so he would he would use that scheme because he knew that the Christians would resist that. There's times for resistance. But the Christians did not resist Rome under the flag of it's my right to worship God. They didn't raise a ruckus and and march on Rome, at least I don't think they did, to demand their rights as Christians to be able to worship as they wanted. They just worshiped as they wanted. And when that comes in conflict with the government, they worshiped as they wanted. That was a protest following God. Not flags, placards, and marches. I know that's going to put me in disfavor with some of my Christian friends. We live in a nation where our rights are paramount. We have a constitution. We have amendments. We have uh, we have laws, a series of laws, which um, are supposed to support the rights of our citizenry, of which we are a part. And the tendency is to fight for our rights. I have a bit of a problem with that. Maybe it's just because I'm chicken or I'm a bit of a peacenik. I don't know. I just believe that in humility lies our strength. When the government tells me I cannot worship the way I want, I'm not going to fuss against the government. I'm just going to worship the way I want. And if that lands me in jail, it lands me in jail. That's my protest. I am going to follow God first. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't conflict. Don't promote conflict. If you're going to be part of the problem, become part of the problem by doing what God has called you to do and worship him. So, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, where it says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Hmm. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Think about that for a second. The God of this universe king of all, creator of everything, took upon himself flesh and dwelt among us, like John says in his first chapter. The Son of God became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And he submitted to death on the cross because he had the long view. He knew what was on the other side of the cross. Paul's encourage us to have that same mindset. Adopt humility. Don't pursue equality. Don't pursue supremacy. Christ made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant. 
and being made in human likeness. He humbled himself by becoming obedient even unto death. Years ago, in the Pacific Northwest, I had a gym membership, and uh, I actually had the honor of training with and helping to train some competitive bodybuilders. I was never a competitive bodybuilder, but I got to train some of them. And I watched what they subjected themselves to because they had the long-term view. Um, They would, the exercising they would do, the training they would undertake, uh, early hours in the morning, late hours at night, uh, their diet that they subjected themselves to, very strict diet, and not a fun diet, I might add. Um, But they had the long view. They realized that if they humbled themselves now, in the future, glory would be theirs. That was their viewpoint. Do the work now. Do the hard thing now. And in the future comes the reward. <sighs> That's kind of the way it is with, with that we should be doing. We humble ourselves now because this world is, is not our world. We don't live here. Peter says that. Peter's whole thing in his in his epistles was that we're strangers here. We're aliens. We are foreigners in a foreign land. We are representatives of another kingdom and we represent another king. This is not our country. So we humble ourselves now in the eyes of this world and the world will look down on us. The world will disregard us. The world will dismiss us. The world might kill us. It's happening now around the world. I fully expect one day in the United States we'll be experiencing some of that. I don't know when, but it's the nature of things. This world doesn't like us. So our best offense is to worship God. Regardless of what the world says, submit ourselves to one another. Walk in humility. Consider the needs of those around us more important than our own, even if they're our enemy. Jesus said it once. He says, if, if your enemy takes your cloak, give him your shoes also. If, uh, you know, it's, he, he says, return evil with kindness. So that's what Jesus did. He took the long term because he knew that on the other side of the cross was the resurrection and immeasurable glory. That's what awaits us. So regardless of what the world thinks of us, consider other people's needs more important than your own and walk in humility. Therefore, since Christ, the Christ did that, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's glory that waits for us. It's not gonna be in this world. That's just truth. I'm a musician. I live for an audience. The fact that I don't have an audience as a musician sometimes bothers me. But you know what? 
I play for an audience of one. He is the only audience that matters to me. The world never hears a, a note I play or a song I sing. God does. And so I have to be willing to embrace the humility that comes from being a musician in the world that doesn't recognize me. Realizing that the one who recognizes me is the only one worth paying attention to, and that is my God, my Father. Therefore, my friends, now, this is, one, this is a passage here that used to just absolutely frighten the stew out of me. And this is the one that I think I finally got a handle on. Verse 12, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. All right, come on. Who hasn't been scared of this verse? Me. <laughs> uh, no, this verse bothered me for a long time. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do you remember when we talked about salvation in Ephesians and earlier in chapter one, where I have this little diagram that I have up here. I have an arrow going from left to right. On the left end of the arrow, it's past. The middle of the arrow is present. The far right is the future. Underneath the word past is justification. Underneath the word present is sanctification. And underneath the word future is glorified. These are three aspects of salvation. Our salvation is an ongoing process. You could say, we were saved, justified. We're being saved, sanctified. We're going to be saved, glorified, past, present, future. We are in the part of our salvation that happens day to day where we're being sanctified, molded into the image of Christ. Therefore, as you've always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. That's talking about the period of salvation that we're in now the part of our salvation. We're being sanctified. We need to be working on that. We need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. This is not a passive time in our life. You're justified. Oh, I'm going to heaven. I can live the way I want because on day I'll be glorified and all the sin stuff will be gone. I'll just give into it now because it's easier to give into sin than it is to fight it. That is not what you're called to do. You are called to work out your salvation, carry out your salvation to the best of your ability to its logical conclusion. Um, Watchman Nee had, had an approach. It's as if a thermos would pray and say, oh, dear God, make me a thermos. I want so much to be a thermos. Please make me a thermos. And Watchman Nee says, you are a thermos. Act like one. Dear God, please make me a holy Christian. Help me to be uh, Christ-like in my behavior. All right, guess what? You have the spirit of Christ in you. Start acting like it. That's what this is. Now, why should we work this out with fear and trembling? Well, because there are consequences to actions. Currently, uh, here in the United States, there are a number of Christian pastors that are going through some incredible, incredibly hard times right now because they've sinned. Huge, grievous sin. And their ministries are tumbling. Their, uh, their worth to the body of Christ as Christian leaders is gone. They're in the process of losing everything. 
because they sinned and they gave in. If we, we need to know that what we do as believers has consequences in the here and now. When he says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, well, guess what? There should be a little fear because actions have consequences. Now, this fear and trembling, this isn't terror, like God's going to snatch something away from you, but there will be a price to pay. When I was, um, oh, back in 2001, I got laid off. I went through a a terrible six-month period. I got laid off from a six-figure salary job. My dad died. I dropped every bit of my savings into a company and lost all of my money and went bankrupt. All in a six-month period. And the reason I went bankrupt is because I was stupid with money. There were consequences to the way I had been living. All the time I had that six-figure salary, did I save any money? No. I spent it. The money came in, it went out. I had bills, I had credit cards. I was living high on the hog. And the truth of the matter is, I was foolish. And there are consequences. And I paid those consequences. There's a reason that we need to work out our salvation, carry it out to its logical conclusion. Because there are consequences to action. And we need to work this thing out with fear and trembling in our minds. Now, this fear and trembling, it's awe and reverence rather than panic and terror. The right emotions are stirred up by the presence of God and not by questions or doubts about eternal security. This verse is not about eternal security. He wants them to be of the same mind as Christ had, who considered it worth it to be humble, to be humbled, to be humiliated because of the resurrection on the other side of the cross. And as you've, therefore, dear brothers, friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Jesus Christ carried out his mission to the nth degree. He came, he was humbled, he gave himself, he died, he rose. Christians, in the same way, in that Therefore, because of all of that, you do the same thing. Carry out what should be the consequences of your salvation. There should be some fear and trembling, awe and reverence. And awe and reverence, trust me, there's fear there. My dad was an ex-professional athlete. He was a big man. He was a strong man. Intimidating in many regards. Um, but he never once laid a hand on me. He never hit me, not once. But the possibility was always there that if he wanted to, he could destroy me. My dad was, was something. And he was a force to be reckoned with. And we loved him. But there was reverential fear there. I did revere him. And there was always a possibility 
that he could destroy me if he wanted. Well, that's, that's kind of, you know, God loves us. This isn't about him not loving us. But if you're going to continue a course of action that goes against his will, there will be consequences. And it's not wrong to fear those consequences. Therefore, because Jesus acted this way, as you've always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Behavior is important. Pursue God. Love your neighbor. Love your God. And straighten up. Behavior is important. Huh. I think I'm going to stop there. We'll finish up chapter uh, two tomorrow. Uh, there's a lot here to think about. And I'm no longer afraid of this verse, verse 12 and 13. Now, why should we continue to work out our salvation, fear, and trembling? Verse 13 finishes it off for us. And with this, I'll close. Because it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill its good purpose. God's at work in you. Work with him, not against him. This is Mr. G. Here's my coffee. And I am out of here. <laughs>